Hi, everybody. It's Tony Floreal, and welcome to the Hangry and Hoarding Podcast. I, uh, just been recovering from a cold, so if it sounds stuffed up, that's because I am stuffed up. Um, yeah, I just had a chance to go outside and get some sun on me, and, but, uh, wow, what a night. Just tossing and turning and, uh, you know, having a difficult time breathing. But now I feel better. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty wild, you know, what it's like to, to be, be sick and, and, uh, you just appreciate the times when you're healthy. So fortunately I feel much better and, uh, I'm not going to let that stop me from giving you an introduction to this podcast episode number two. And my guest is Andrew Marr. He's a retired special force Green Beret who I met, um, I'd say probably almost two years now. And uh, I first saw him on the Joe Rogan show sharing his story about recovering from traumatic brain injuries and uh, the symptoms of that known as PTSD. So, you know, it was really cool to hear Andrew's story because it reminded me of possibly what my grandfather had gone through being a World War II and Korean War veteran. So, you know, I started to understand that maybe my grandfather was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, hard to reach and hard to connect to because he was suffering from uh, traumatic brain injury, uh, TBI, also known as. And um, so that kind of made me feel at peace knowing that, you know, it wasn't really anything on my part that... Um, you know, I had a hard time at certain times connecting with my grandfather and, you know, until the end of his life, um, where we really did connect. But, um, you know, Andrew's story really shed light on that this information is not widely available. And, you know, the recovery through, um, Dr. Gordon's protocol, Dr. Mark Gordon was also on that show with Andrew on the Joe Rogan show. So, you know, they finally have a proven protocol that helps men and women uh, recover from traumatic brain injuries. And it doesn't have to be uh, a direct hit to the head. It could be uh, something, you know, that you occurred to you from getting hit in the body as well. Uh, car accidents, uh, a traumatic birth. There's so many different scenarios that have happened in our lives that can disrupt the endocrine system, the hormones in our body from helping the brain protect itself from inflammation and also to regulate the normal processes that occur through, uh, you know, hormones. So, yeah, it was really cool. And also in that episode, um, Andrew also had mentioned doing the Wim Hof method, and that's how I got introduced to, you know, the Iceman and his breathing practices or his breathing method and cold thermogenesis, exposing the body to, you know, extreme cold to get it to adapt. And now science is starting to show the benefits of doing uh, cold thermogenesis and also uh, heat like saunas and uh, increasing the body's temperature. So 
you get these things called shock proteins, whether it's cold shock proteins or heat shock proteins. So that's how I found out about Andrew, and I just reached out to him on Facebook. And from there, we became buddies. And now I'm just on a mission to spread this information out to the world because it's had such an impact on me getting my blood tested and quantified and finding out why, um, you know, why I was deficient in certain things and replenishing those things with nutraceuticals. And that's totally changed my life because I had suffered from anxiety and depression. Um, I called them morning demons and uh, it was hard to get out of bed even after having a, a full night's sleep. But once I got tested and found that I was deficient in certain nutrients and was replenished with those, it was, it was just instant. And I woke up feeling like myself, feeling like my brain was working properly. And, and it was exciting because this last year in 2017, um, we're at 2018 now, but, um, it was one of the best productive years I've had in one of the years I felt uh, fully me um, most of the time. So that was really, really exciting. And it was really, really simple. And, um, you know, I had a history of doing meditations and um, a bunch of other type of biohacking type uh, technologies I've used and including the Wim Hof method. And all these things were great, but, um, you know, they didn't really stick. Whereas doing the Wim Hof or excuse me, doing the, uh, Dr. Gordon protocol, uh, once my brain was working the way it was supposed to, then all these other, uh, auxiliary type of methods and techniques and technologies start to work, uh, even better. So that's my story. And, um, you know, it's, really a pleasure to to have this long conversation with Andrew and to you know I really want to share his story to the world and I'm so grateful that he's my friend and he uh took the time in his busy schedule because now he's um he's out there the information of Dr. Gordon's protocol and Andrew's story is in a book called Tales from the Blast Factory and uh and they're they're making a movie called Quiet Explosions to share this information to the world as a documentary. So look for that uh in the near future. So uh yeah, so I just wanted to also let you guys know that I'm having an event in San Francisco on January twenty seventh, twenty eighteenth, about a week from now, and that is the Magic Flow Bus San Francisco. And um basically it's a interactive event where you get to learn all these different techniques that we use to um get us into flow states. And um, you know, the morning is all hands on in person learning how to breathe properly, doing yoga, getting exposed to environmental triggers, and, um, you know, even doing like cold thermogenesis and hot uh, uh, thermogenesis as well. So um, 
it's a fun day. So that's the first part of the day. And then the second part of the day, we get to play with different technologies like uh, neurofeedback or microcurrent, uh, um, you know, the HBOT, which is like a chamber where they um, increase the, the air pressure and, and drive in oxygen to deliver it to your tissue. So, um, so it's also known as the hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And so these are all the fun things that we're going to be able to um, share with you on that event on January 27th. And the whole point is, is that there's these conferences where you usually sit on your, your fanny all day long listening to people lecture. So we wanted to turn it around and actually give people the direct experience of, of, I guess, learning through um, doing, you know, and, and actually experiencing what people lecture about at these biohacking conferences. So, um, check it out if you're interested. Uh, it's on magicflowbus.com. That's M-A-G-I-C-F-L-O-W-B-U-S.com. On there, there's a, uh, you know, just opt in for the, uh, application and, uh, fill out the application and, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible because, uh, your application helps us curate the event so that we can, uh, have a very fun and safe event, but also, uh, closer to your interest as well. So without further ado, here's this next episode with my dear friend and brother, Andrew Marr of the Warrior Angels Foundation. And he's a, again, um, sharing his story, uh, how he came to where he's now performing better than his pre-injury status from traumatic brain injuries. So enjoy this episode and take care, everybody. Core here, clapping, blowing. Clap on, hey. clap off. The clapper, man. So you, you never saying. met anybody with the clapper? Never met anybody with the clapper. I'm trying to think. I met a f- I knew a few people with the clapper. What an ingenious device. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Just come in, clap, and the lights come on. But right? inopportune or maybe like uh, not convenient if you're always high-fiving. <laughs> yeah, right? Can you imagine? On and off, on and off, the lights coming on and off. Yeah. Inconvenient. <laughs> they were like these commercials, right? Yeah. That would come on. I don't know. In Texas, you had like public TV. Did mm. you guys have cable at that time, or you already had? What are we have... talking about? Like nineties? Yeah, 80s? the eighties. Yeah, yeah, there was cable. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> we had running guys... water. We had like really cool stuff in the eighties <laughs> in Texas. You guys yeah. could afford it, cable. It, I couldn't afford cable, man. Well, I don't know if I could. Uh, I could afford it. My parents did. Okay, cool, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just remember it seeing on like regular TV, and and uh, but I never met anybody that had the clapper. Yeah, I don't think it was until college. Uh, people had it as like I think more of like a comedy type deal, and I always wanted to get it, but I never got it. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, brother. Glad to be here. Yeah, man, we're at the team room of Warrior Angels. Yep. Yeah, the home. You guys are in Yukaipa. We're here. And your uh, home as well. My home as well, man. It's been awesome. Yeah. You guys moved here in June. And uh, came all the way from Texas. We did. Yeah. We did. So how was that journey, man? Like making that leap to come to Cali? 
Uh, amazing, amazing. Um, you know what, man? Like leaving the military, we went back to Texas because it was familiar. And then after being there, uh, you know, a year and a half, two years, it was like we can go anywhere or you know wherever we want. Doing a lot of work in Southern California. I fell in love with the place, the geography of it. And so we said, let's come here. So try to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Well, one thing I love about you is like once you decide on something, you like make it happen. Yeah. And uh, that goes back to your story of recovering from traumatic brain injury and mm-hmm. getting that through many years of being special forces and maybe... Uh, accumulation of things before like from football as well but none of the symptoms occurred until like six months after your last deployment right right yeah yeah i mean going back to taking action uh i mean you've talked about it hundreds of times but being defined by a vision of the future you know what i mean that's something that's always been uh uh tantamount in my life um and so once I have a vision of what that is, it's either you're either working closer to it or you're getting further away from it. So if it's the vision or the goal, let's make every effort to do that. You know what I mean? So whether that's overcoming an injury, moving from one location to another, special forces, whatever it is in life, you know what I mean? Like what is that vision? What's that inspiration? And how are you moving closer to it? When did you realize that you were like operating on a vision because at what point in your life did Mm. you say like consciously, Oh my God, like I have something in my mind that I've sort of like worked towards. Yeah. That's a great question, man. I think like, honestly, it was like I was 10 years old playing football. You know what I mean? It was the first time that I really realized that like I had some unique gifts and talents and uh we all get wired up differently through experience and because of those experiences like that's what i felt most uh i don't know that's where i divide uh derive the most amount of uh meaning i guess and significance looking back on it yeah at 10 you, you don't know just i like this you know it's 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 unique and it's it's significant and so i just realized like i love to do this so i want to do this as much as I can, you know what I mean? So at 10, I wanted to play football. Like that was, that was what drove me. And so I can remember starting to lift weights at, at 12 and, you know, always because I wanted to, you know, play football. When I was in middle school, I wanted to get to high school, you know, and, and start, be a starter on the varsity. And once I was a starter on the varsity, I wanted to go to college. And once I was in college, I wanted to go to the pro. So I just always had that vision specifically there about how I wanted my life to turn out. Got it. So you, but when did you like know that that was called a vision? Mm-hmm. Cause you, you had that process going and you followed it till, you realized that you couldn't play football. Mm-hmm. And then the next step was uh, the military. Right. So you had, like, I guess your first identity that you loved was mm-hmm. football, and mm-hmm. then it transferred to military. Um, where in your development did you realize that it was called a vision? Yeah, uh, probably through my mom uh, when I was in high school because she told me that uh, people were more likely to accomplish their goals, their vision, if they wrote it down. And oh, so that's yeah. like when I started becoming like crystal clear on things I wanted to do or next actions to drive it closer towards it. So it was through that process, like I remember specifically um, – 
like my, you know, working on a 40 yard dash when you get that lower to get to a certain time. And then I got really, con- really specific on, you know, what I wanted to weigh, strength, performance goals, stuff like that. But it came through, uh, mentorship through indirectly through my mom. That's awesome. And you yeah. know where she got her? You know, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. She, I just remember her telling me that, uh, early on, like Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and, uh, kind of pioneers of, of, of the country were very, uh, it was very instrumental for them to become clear on what it is they wanted to, to develop their plan of action. That just sunk with me at a very young age. You know what I mean? And especially when she said, you're way more likely to accomplish it if you can become clear on it and write it down. And from that point on, I've always written out my, my goals. Have you actually had that like stored over the years somewhere? No, you know, that wasn't a big thing for me. I was never really like a uh, sentimental type of dude. So I just didn't, I didn't store it, uh, you know, keep them, keep records of them or anything. I would just accomplish them and move on. At any point, did you um, not have the vision happen or where you had to adjust or? Yeah, I think, I mean, that, that's pretty routine, you know, with, with life. I, I, I can't remember anything specifically. Well, like, um, I wanted to be, uh, I was a highly recruited, uh, out of high school and then I broke my leg in my senior year, which cost me the majority of that season. And so I, um, didn't get offered any division one scholarships. I had, uh, division two and, and other schools and, and, uh, that were interested in offered scholarships, but I just, I didn't want it because it wasn't in line with my vision. So I kind of postponed everything, put my own, uh, rehabilitation process in and decided, Hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to refocus and kind of shift, uh, my original plan for this new plan. And it was, Hey, I'm going to go to this junior college. I'm going to uh, walk on there, earn a scholarship, and then from there I'll, I'll go to, you know, the next level. And uh, that's exactly what I did. You know what I mean? So just learning to, to shift when, when life throws you curveballs. Did anybody have a, a, a play in that and influencing you to have a plan B? Or that was all on you? Uh, it was all on me. You okay. know what I mean? It was just like uh, that was the vision I had for my life. You know what I mean? And uh, I wasn't ready to close the door on it. It wasn't like uh, it was talent or performance-based, like, you know, you're not able to do it. Just an, an injury happened. And so I was just like, hey, I guess I realized that even then at a young at, at 18, like, hey, nobody's going to do this for me. So w- what can I do to take action to accomplish and achieve what I feel is significant for my life. And at 18, I mean, that's pretty young for you to be like fairly focused that way. And like, what do you think was enabled you to be like that? I mean, did you always have that, that instinct in yourself or was that developed over time? Yeah, it definitely developed, but I mean, my mom has always say I had the like will of an Olympian, you know what I mean? And, uh, so I always has a laser sharp focus. Even as a, a, a toddler, does she notice it that? That's what she said. Okay. Yeah. It, like, so like she would have like coaches come up to her and tell her like, Hey, your son is going to be, you know, a professional athlete or at least a, col- a, a college athlete. And she would be like, how can you, why would you say that? How can you tell something like that at such a young age? And then she watched things unfold over time, you know, and, um, she was just like, Hey, there was always for some reason, this, 
laser sharp focus that you had before sports it was like gi joes <laughs> right. and then gi joes into athletics into football was was pretty much it until uh, special forces and does being in the state of texas have a play in that in your environment because yeah. that, texas i mean it's a big football state yeah it is it's it's like it's like a religion it's crazy um so it's a big deal out there um that that kind of added fuel to the fire so after you know you decide to go to plan b and you go to a community junior college um you play for uh what another year or two two years there okay mm -hmm. and then what happened from there uh at blend college uh i had a good good career there i was a junior college uh academic all-american all everything uh on the football field there i uh, ran for uh, student government president of the college won that. So it was like, you know, really great time. Had a really great time there. Um, got in some trouble, uh, between my freshman and sophomore year, got arrested for a marijuana possession, which, uh, <laughs> was a big bummer at the time. And so yeah. people go to junior college typically for one of three reasons. Either they didn't make good grades in high school, um, and they were recruited uh, as majorly, but they didn't make good grades. So I had to go there to get their grades up. They were injured or they got in trouble. You know what I mean? And, and obviously I fell in the injury category. So coming up through there and then getting that uh, specific arrest on me was like that, that put like a red flag on me for, for major colleges wanting to commit. Cause we talked, I talked to, every major university in the country uh for four-year school and it was just like hey we're not going to take a chance on you you know for these reasons uh but like virtually every place that i could walk on but i just didn't want to do that so uh, i went to a division two school called texas a&m kingsville which uh was a very prominent school and of division two uh arena Matter of fact, at that time, they had had, they were running, uh, like four conference championships in a row and they appeared in the, uh, the, they had the playoff system there way before Division One did and they were in the semifinals, like for the last three years running. So a top program there. So I went there for the last two years. That's cool. So after that, um, you get this red flag, right? From mm -hmm. a marijuana arrest. Mm -hmm. Um, you sound, it sounds like you already not only were focused on football, but, you also had an academic like uh, discipline as well. You're always like pretty good on that. Was that all on you? Your parents' influence, or no? It was all on me, man. Uh, in high school, like I didn't care about academics whatsoever. I just did what I had to do so I could play football. That's all I wanted to do. And like my dad said, as like a running joke, like he never once saw me do homework, you know, in, in uh, my entire life <laughs> through there. I don't yeah, know what yeah. I did, you know what yeah. I mean? But like. That's a level of intelligence in and of itself, I think. It's like, you know, how can I steer this to not have to put in all this effort to be able to do what I have to do over here so I can do what I want to do over here? You know right, what I mean? Like, right. that's how I saw it. You know, yeah, it wasn't yeah. like anything I was really interested in. I know, I know you can probably uh, relate to that. Yeah, yeah, we know each other, like, for sure. <laughs> you know, like, just so, to get the bare minimum done. Yeah, awesome. yeah, you know, you know it's like, what's the standard? What do I gotta, what do I gotta do so I can do this? Cause this is what I want to do, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I think, I think, like, realizing that early on, like, you realize how to kind of think outside the box. You yeah. know what I mean? Because, like, here's the box. 
I don't care about this, right? So how can I devise a plan to do this? Like, I remember in high school, we had a physics class, and you had to do this big, um, big project as part of the grade. <clears throat> and I actually, it was like 25% of the grade, right? And I was like, I don't want to do that fucking project, man. So I figured out, like, what do I got to do on tests, homework, everything else to be able to pass the minimum grade requirement and not do this project? Which means I had to do like a 95% for the rest of the class. So I just did that. I was like, I'll do everything. I'll, I'll max out all the grades there and not do the project. And it totally worked. <laughs> and the guy's like, hey, are you not going to do the project, Andrew? I'm like, nope. And he's like, uh, you're going to get a zero. I'm like, yeah, I've already calculated my grade. And I know I'm going to pass. And I'm not doing your project. Yeah, yeah. And like, what was he going to do? Right, right. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. And so like, you know, I figured out, you know, I figured out ways to do stuff like that. So it wasn't important to me. When I got to college, I got to junior college. It was interesting. So that was kind of the first time I was out of the house on my own. And it became apparent to me, man, that I wanted to just do my best. I had this drive in me to to hold myself to kind of a higher standard. And I saw kids there, like, not taking, like, class seriously. Like, a lot of inner-city uh, youth there. And, like, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, well, why would you come here if you didn't want to try your best? You know what I mean? And so it was just like, I want to represent myself i want to represent my family i want to represent where i'm from and i just want to do the best that i can do because i want to make the most of every opportunity and it, that was like a like a new way of thinking uh i think that was probably the case as it applied to football but not the rest of my life and man i i don't know like it was just like all those things that were unfolding around me being out of the house for the first time by myself where i thought what if I applied myself everywhere? You know what I mean? And like, I did really well, like the first right. semester, like a 3.5 or a 3.75 GPA. And the thing was, it was like, it wasn't that even that hard. I just made a schedule and I applied myself and I, and I met with the guidelines and the deadlines that I kind of put on myself. And I was like, that's not even difficult. It's just applying your, applying myself. And for the first time, like it was, I did some things that were like interesting to me academically. Okay. You know that's what I was going to say. Like, where was the shift? Because in high school you had loopholes mm -hmm. that you knew you can like pass through Yeah. in college. You could have done the same thing, but you obviously now are studying things that engaged you. Yeah. Like for instance, like a uh, English literature class, like the whole, the whole thesis of the class was to read these awesome works, and then we just come to class and discuss it. And I was like, "We're going to get a grade on this." I was like, "This is great!" And like, people weren't like talking or saying anything. And I was like, "I'll discuss my thoughts," you know, because they were like, "Hey, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. Just give your interpretation of this." And I'm like looking around. I'm like. All we're supposed to do is tell what we how we think about what we read. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like this is great. Yeah. Let's talk about it. <laughs> That's so cool, man. You know, yeah. So you were you pretty extroverted at that time, or mm. pretty much the same? I mean, did you have butterflies like having this, like, or even wanting to speak up because of that sort of um, format that the teacher set, where yeah. you know, like, your grades going to be depend on like you discussing mm -hmm. this and speaking up. You know, I was, I was never, I would never classify myself as a, 
extrovert. I'd also wouldn't class myself as introvert. You know, somewhere in between. It just it just depending on on the situation or what the situation called for. You know what I mean? But I never had a problem of like talking in front of other people or uh, you know giving a presentation or something like that. Matter of fact, I, I always found that I was pretty good public speaking wise, even like in middle school going on up. I never thought anything of it. It just it came kind of natural to me. It yeah. wasn't difficult. I know that's definitely not 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 the case for a lot of people. You right, know I mean? right. So that comes to like your leadership, like sort of abilities. It's another thing that was ingrained. I mean, obviously, your mom was talking about coaches recruiting you, saying that you were going to be a certain individual in mm-hmm. sports or a high level something, mm-hmm. and then this capacity that you had innate was it innate? Was it something that? You know, like I think it's developed it yeah, through, through experience. I, you bring up a good point or something I never thought of. It probably had a lot to do with athletics. You know what I mean? So being athletics, you get a good deal or you have the opportunity to develop some self-confidence, you know, through that. And so in that arena, I was never uh, shy about vocalizing anything in regards to a sport or the, how the, what the team needed. You know what I mean? And so I just take that mentality and apply it outside of the sports arena so it was very difficult it wasn't it wasn't difficult for me to make that transition you know i think that's probably looking back on it maybe maybe some some reasons i was able to develop those skills okay yeah it's interesting because i grew up with sports too and, mm-hmm. and i like shine being actually like an introvert mm-hmm. uh, but certain situations would call for me to be more uh, outgoing mm-hmm. uh, but sports was easy it was just transitioning out of that identity when right. i knew that i wasn't going to play sports professionally mm-hmm. and that was hard it was like um more of like a reluctant leader, like a lead by example. So I was like appointed captain of the the hockey team mm-hmm. just by my actions, not so much by what I said or or That's how it should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean like but I guess I had a concept of leadership as somebody like dictating things to people. Mm, and, and that's like the worst like type of leader, mm-hmm. you know, but um some uh more of a leader that a lot of people have respect. Uh you had like you just seemed like just knowing you and being around you, you just had that like uh, natural propensity to to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is. Like it's it's just like this presence that you had. So out of curiosity, um, it developed out of football into like because you became like class president. Yeah, and it was something that you decided, or was there other people like kind of like saying, hey, I think you should do this because we see this in you? Or I think everything, there might be like some innate propensity for it, you know, but the environment has to bring it out. I don't know. I had a unique environment. So I was the old, I have an older brother by 11 years. So kind of by default, I was the oldest boy at home, right? Because okay. I have two younger brothers. Uh, that are two years apart. So my younger brother is two years younger than me, and then our youngest brother is four years younger than me. So my older brother was kind of gone, right? Because like when I'm born, he's 11, and uh, he had a different mother, so he was kind of back and forth. So it was basically us three at the house. So I have like the older uh, sibling personality, right? Which is kind of take control, take charge, look over. You know, you're the one to look up to and experience things when when the parents aren't there. So I uh, I always had that. 
my father from the from the earliest stages always told his children that hey you're a leader and leaders do this you know what i mean and he was in the service industry and he was always talking about serving right and so that was just an ingrained to me of servant leadership you know what i mean and it wasn't so much that it was innate it was something that you worked on to do but he developed that in us at such a young age, at least with me, that, you know, I just came to accept myself as like, yeah, I'm, we're leaders. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we do. We're, we lead this way and we lead, we lead by example and yeah. we lead by serving and you lead by making decisions in difficult situations because you know your values and your, uh, your principles that you stand on. You know what I mean? That was, that was important for him to articulate, and I remember that at the at the youngest of ages. And so, being old, you know, being an older uh, brother, the oldest sibling of the house, having that influence from my dad, trans transition that into you know athletics, I think was conditional situations that helped to develop some things in me that now seem pretty innate because they are they're probably uh, subconscious you know programs. You know, that, and that's an instance where it's a very positive program. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So this goes into like epigenetics, right? Absolutely. So it's like, you know, you have this innate like genome code that you're born with from your parents and their parents and on and on. And, um, and then you have your environment, which mm -hmm. is influencing these, these things as well as sort of social conditionings. Yeah. So this is interesting because now I'm starting to see, um, this, this evolution of you, right? Mm -hmm. And so that not only are you like, um, supervising your, your younger brothers, you're also like a protector in that mm -hmm. way. And so that kind of leads into serving and protecting after you, you realize that football wasn't the next thing yeah. that, or the thing you're going to do in life. Yeah, it was cool. I'll go back a, a story that I think helps to illustrate it. When I was 11 years old, we were living at Tennessee, in Tennessee at the time. We went to West Texas to visit our uh, my my aunts and uh, her kids, my cousins. So, anyways, it was a rough trip. My brother had a compound fracture of his arm oh, in wow. that one. My dad wasn't there, so we're driving back at the end of that trip from Texas back to Tennessee. It's early in the morning. My mom stops to fill up gas. Me and my youngest brother, Austin, we had a station wagon at the time, and we had put the seats down. We had one of those With old the, school. With the, like, back window goes yes, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had one of those old sick, school t those. TVs that we had, like, a cigarette adapter for. <laughs> yeah. And, like, we tied that sucker down in the car. Those watching, like, the VHS. Days, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, having an awesome time. But we're sleeping on the, on the pallets that we made in the back of the station wagon. Adam's up front because he had the compound fracture in his uh in his arm so he had the cast anyways she gets out fills up gas goes in to pay we get out me and my younger brother austin go to the bathroom mom gets back in the car she doesn't think to look in the back because we were asleep right she gets out and she takes off we come out of the bathroom and i see that she's gone <laughs> and we're in the middle of west texas with this is before cell phones this is before the internet and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm 11, so Austin's 7. 
and mom drives for over a hundred miles before she realizes <laughs> and looks back that nobody's in the car and she about had a heart attack. So, oh. I mean, just awful. She's wondering like, did the kids fall out of the car? What happened? She's hysterical. Um, uh, you know, her babies are not in there. Yay. So she goes, pulls over to the next gas station, calls her sister and they try to retrace her steps back to like the last town that she stopped in. And so, that's going on. But when, when on the location, so I was like, okay, mom's gone. I'm 11. So I take Austin. I go and we sit down out here and I said, he's like freaking out. I'm like, Hey man, just take a deep breath and let me think. Like I remember saying that, like it just is like happening right now. And I was just calm and cool and collected, you know, in that kind of in that storm. And I was like, okay, well, she's gone. She does. There's no way she would have left us. She, she doesn't realize that we're not here. I know the direction she was going because she's heading towards Tennessee. So what we need to do is contact the authorities and uh, try to get out, you know, su- some support uh, to trace her down. So about that time, the constable of the city, because it's just a, one of these small tick towns out there, they don't even have a police department. A constable comes by. I, get, I grab her attention, and we go to the uh, the sheriff's department, and they end up checking my mom down, you know, a couple hours later. But it was just kind of in that situation, I realized that, hey, my younger brother's here. He's scared. He has nobody else to look out for him. Like, I don't have time to be like, oh, what are we going to do? Like, what's going to happen? We need to take action. We need to take action right now. You know, and at 11 years old, I was doing some things that was probably pretty advanced for that situation. But that's just what the circumstance called for. And, yeah, it could have went one or two ways. I could have went in a corner and cried somewhere. But... Because of my evolution and uh, my upbringing, that just wasn't uh, that wasn't even really a possibility for me, you know. So I can see where that kind of shaped things over time. Yeah, it's pretty wild, man. Because I had a similar uh, experience during the 1989 San Francisco earthquake. Oh, what happened? And my sister and I uh, decided to ride our bikes to school to play shoot some hoops. And, um, you know, it's getting late, it's getting dark, so it's like, hey, let's get home. So we're biking home, and all of a sudden, like, the ground starts, like, rumbling. Oh, You know, God. and you start seeing, like, the trees, like, swaying back and forth, and birds are, like, flying out. And then the car starts, like, teetering, and it's like, boom, 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 boom. And, you know, being... Uh, hangry and horny at the time i'm thinking like man who the hell is having sex in that thing you know yeah. <laughs> and um you know and, and just like the cartoon the 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 road was like going sideways and then you actually saw the wave oh the gosh. ripple the yeah. you know the frequency of the earthquake and and um i just remember like telling my sister let's get off our bike let's get away from the power line let's just like you know duck and cover make sure nothing's gonna hit us And then once it all settled, Mm -hmm. I said, let's get home. Let's get on the bikes. So we get on the bikes, and she's just, like, shaking. And she's older. She's younger. She's younger. Yeah, so I'm, like, uh, about 12 years old. Uh, Yeah, almost 12. It was almost my birthday then. And... um, she she's so scared that she like runs into me with her bike and I go flying off. Wow! And the instinct was to get angry, but I was like, I have there's no time for that. Like 
I just picked myself up. Like, we, I got, like, I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, let's just get home. We got to get home. We got to make sure we're safe. Because yeah. we're also worried about, like, my mom, like, being a single mom working downtown. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know if those buildings collapsed or what. So I was like, let's just get home. And it was like being calm and collected mm-hmm. and just protecting her and making sure she was safe. And so... I don't know, like, where that came from, but um, it it was like the situation called for it, and there was no time to, like, panic at all, right? Do you think, looking back at that now, you realize, like, that triggered you into a flow trigger? It definitely did, because if I had looked back, uh, I remember, I can recall so many things in detail, and Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things about flow is when you're in it and you have all those, like, neurotransmitters and hormones flowing through, you're able to, like tag memories mm-hmm. and so yeah it was just one of those things like man. you're not being analytical you're just you're just doing it just you're doing just it, it man yeah just doing it. yeah totally. Just totally like let's just execute right now let's let's get this done let's get home safe and so it was interesting getting home because um the garage door was like up and it was like stuck and mm-hmm. so the, all the power was out and the lady that was living downstairs had panic so she just like hit the garage door opener and then like came up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were like concerned, like when it got dark, t- we, we were worried. There were like things people were talking about looters sure. and all this stuff. But um, I, I was, it was the first time that I saw like an adult sort of not uh, stay composed. Yeah. And so that that was interesting to me. Like, what was it? me being that young of an age able to stay poised and composed where someone that was much older than me actually panicked mm. and you know didn't know what to do and just the first thing she thought was like hit the garage door versus like get under a door frame or do something to just make sure she was safe right yeah. so that that was interesting to me but um but back to your story man it just reminded me of of that and so i'm always curious like what we're in the development like did that did we learn that was that mm-hmm. innate was that because we saw somebody else in action that protected us at a certain time mm-hmm. um i can think back of my mom sort of being like okay like stop crying right now take a deep breath and let's do whatever we needed to do right mm-hmm. so it was interesting yeah definitely i'm interested how did that play out man like How'd you guys get in touch with your mom back then when we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have internet, you know what I mean? Like, you just waited for her to come home, or you went to her, or what happened? Yeah, we were just hoping for the best, and, uh, like, you know... That probably would have knocked cell phone towers out anyway, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. modern day. Even modern day, right? So we just just prayed, man. We were just, like, waiting patiently and and just hoping for the best. And How'd she get home uh, from from where she was at work? She said that the uh, railway just completely shut down because it was run by electric. So essentially, like, everybody started, like, piling onto, like, the the gasoline buses at that time, right? So Mm -hmm. the diesels. Yeah, yeah. So she just found an alternate route back home you know maybe she had to take two or three like buses instead of just one streetcar and like walk like the rest of the way so she showed up man it was like the best thing ever you know like it's one of those things where you never realize what you have until it's like almost gone right totally yeah so yeah was the city just in pandemonium 
at that time with it people was trying so, to get places? It was so quiet. It was so, like, freaky-ish quiet. Like, mm. just like, you know, when we, we talk about uh, electricity and Wi-Fi, right? When we shut that off at night yeah. or even when we're in nature and we're unplugged, it's so quiet. Like, yeah. it's loud, right? Yeah. So that's what it felt like. We were hearing reports on the radio. So the radio was working, right? So mm-hmm. that was interesting because we had heard that the um, Bay Bridge collapsed, right? I remember because the World Series was going on. The World Series was going on. My uh, cousins and, and my auntie were there when it happened. Um, yeah, I remember like when the Giants, San Francisco Giants were in the playoffs. So I got to go to the playoffs, like the National League uh, Championship. So they played the Chicago Cubs. Nice. So it was fun, man. And I didn't get to go to World Series, so I knew that my cousin and my aunts were there, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and um, But it was an interesting time because it was Indian summer. So mm-hmm. like in San Francisco, the best weather is usually in the fall. Yeah. And uh, so there was this sort of uh air to that time you know mm-hmm. and they they usually say that's like earthquake weather you know earthquake weather earthquake, earthquake yeah. weather my other uh, cousin's his buddy was actually surfing in the ocean so he didn't feel the uh the earthquake but when he got out the water was like all the way Oh wow! Like it, like it, like there a hole opened in the earth, and all the the ocean water went through there. So there was like almost like extra mile of beach that mm. he had to walk from. That's crazy. From the break line where it was to now, like the break line was way out there, and then all of a sudden he had to walk like extra far. Wow! And um, I remember the phone still worked though. So like my cousin, my older cousin, he was only two years older than me, but. He, we like called each other. I forget who called who, but it was cool because at least I was working and we had like contacted family members. So I guess they were, they, they were like my, I guess my auntie or uncle told him to call and check up on my sister and I. So that was cool. And, and that's when we heard that like the Bay Bridge had collapsed and we're just like, the entire bridge fell over. Oh my gosh. That's, that's a huge bridge. Yeah. And, it was just like a section, mm-hmm. but people, like a couple of people died because the, the guy in, in the car thought he could just jump it. Yeah. And it, that, you know, with the engine being in the front, it was just front end heavy. It just went boom. Mm. You just see the, 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 the hood pop up and it was just. I was going to duke some hazard at Exactly, man. <laughs> Didn't work out. Yeah. So yeah, that, that all, uh, protection of, uh, people around us. I don't know. It's just something that was there, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I was curious, like in your case, you know. So let's fast forward to um, you realize you're not going to play football. How did you decide you're going to go into the military? Yeah, great. Let me take a piss. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna keep talking, man. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you guys that are listening or watching, um yeah, it's it's really cool. Andrew and I have known each other for um losing track of time just because I'm I don't really keep track of time. So I think I say it's been about a year and a half. Um I've heard uh, um, uh, uh, well, I, I basically saw Andrew on the Joe Rogan show. Uh, just remember tuning in and 
and uh, he was on Joe Rogan with Dr. Mark Gordon. And I was intrigued by Andrew Storer being a former Special Force Green Beret. And he was talking about how he had recovered from traumatic brain injury uh, against all odds uh, after trying all the different uh, modalities from, you know, traditional medical um, medicine and, you know, that not working and, and being on uh, so much medication. Um, Andrew, will we'll get Andrew to tell this story, but essentially um, what caught my attention was as he was telling his story and like some of the symptoms and behaviors he was having, I couldn't help to think about my uh, grandfather who was in uh, World War II and um, the Korean War as well as the POW and some of just the way that my grandfather was, he had this sort of look in his eyes and this laser focus and he wasn't that like big of a guy. He was probably about five, six, five, seven, but you know, um, very thin. But he had a presence about him that was just ultra intimidating and scary. And um, so all I could think of was maybe my grandfather had um, sort of traumatic brain injury from war and sort of the PTSD symptoms that came with having a traumatic brain injury. So um, Dr. Gordon was essentially saying that he doesn't believe in PTSD, he thinks that PTSD is just more of uh, the symptom of the brain not working properly uh, and that the neuro uh, hormones aren't being produced because the brain is in uh, an inflammatory state. So, um, so anyways, that's how I found out about Andrew it was just on the Joe Rogan show and I just couldn't help but to reach out to him and, and friend him on Facebook and, and, uh, he friended me back and next thing you know, we were, we were talking about my favorite subject of flow and flow state. So, um, so that's how you and I met. Mm -hmm. So I was just saying, um, how I found out about you on the Joe Rogan show and your story really helped me resolve sort of my relationship with my yeah. grandfather because it, he was just a hard ass. I just thought maybe that was part of that generation, but um, maybe I learned a lot of his leadership skills from him as well, but it was just hard to communicate with him, man. Like he wasn't affectionate. He just, he just, was just high functioning. He would get shit done. He didn't talk much. He wasn't a hugger. Mm -hmm. He he just didn't really talk. It was hard to have a conversation with him. So when you spoke of your story on Joe's show, I really like made peace with that. And it wasn't until the end of my grandfather's life. I think he probably knew he was going. Yeah, where he he finally got affectionate and he he wasn't stiff when i hugged him and he actually would hug me back you know return the favor and and um and he he actually we'd have these conversations and and sometimes we would have nonverbal conversations where sure. i remember he dropped me off at the airport before i went to guam after my graduation from college and i moved to guam for love and I I was uh, driving and no I better party. reason to move. Will that <laughs> no better reason to move than for love? <laughs> no, right? Some some wild paradise place in the world and beautiful <laughs> island beauty and yeah. and um 
you know, I partied that whole night and, you know, I drove to LAX from San Diego and it was at the tail end of that, that drive. And I was like falling asleep behind a wheel. My grandfather was next to me and his girlfriend was in the back and, and uh, I totally like fell asleep and I like caught myself and he just like, he was like, you know, taking a little nap then, but like, you know, the car kind of jerked and he just kind of like opened his eyes and he just looked at me, smiled and he went back to sleep. Mm. So that was the last like moment I had with him Mm. before he passed away. But, um, yeah, that's how, uh, I was able to reconcile our relationship because of your story. Uh, just honored to hear that man. And I know we've talked about it before that that's what's quite crazy. Some of the second and third order effects that you just can never even account for. But like so many, uh, I guess children, world war two, uh, uh, who had parents in world war two or Korean war, Vietnam, who've come to me and basically said they were able to put these things in the past, you know, and kind of forgive because they had a new understanding of it and, and move on. And I mean, talk about just blowing your mind, you know what I mean? Like you're just never prepared to hear, you know, uh, an emotional story like that. And that's when I started to think like, Oh my God, like time is dynamic, man. You know what I mean? And like, you can literally go and change the past through new information and perception, uh, in the now, you know, like you're saying, like, because of this new information, you're able to go back and change how you viewed the past. So the past to me has changed and that blew my mind. You know what I mean? I was like, we were able to help people to reconcile and change their pasts. That was awesome. Yeah, it's crazy that that we have the ability to reframe memories. Yeah. And that those memories don't need to create that endogenous cascade of fight or flight chemicals mm-hmm. just from a thought, just from a memory, you know? Yeah. And, and we had the ability to rewrite that, that code, that script. It's, it's exciting. I mean, that's why you and I are uh, connected too, yeah. because it was cool knowing, like, what blew me away is that you had this background and you were like really like matter of fact with life. And then, and then as you were going through your, um, your healing and searching out for any solution that you could find, like you started to get open minded about like energy and the ability to sort of time travel, you know, whether it's a vision of the future or backtrack, you know, uh, time travel to the past and, and change those memories and, mm-hmm. and, uh, the effects scientifically is now being documented and like the effects of meditation right. and, and, uh, affirmations and all these things that were considered woo woo at one time. And now like the military is using it and like corporate, you know, people are using all these methods. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not. I mean, it's, it's not like fully mainstream yet, but it's being talked about in mainstream media now. Mm-hmm. I would definitely, man. I, I would think like a, a big, uh, step forward in the evolution of, of healing, at least in, in my experience, was like getting to a point where I didn't put my autobiography on everything. You know what I mean? On, on every experience. <laughs> And every relationship that I came into, you know what I mean? Because we experience the world through what we know, not what is, right? 
And uh, to me, that's like the autobiography. So it's like I, I don't want to put my autobiography on what I think my kids should do. I want to develop them to do to uh, identify and obtain or pursue their unique purpose. You know what I mean? And so you start to kind of objectify your subjective world when you can take your autobiography out of it and say, you know, like, well, well what's truly the best scenario here or what's the best thing way to move forward or uh, what really happened in the situation, you know what I mean? Is it just I was understanding my grandfather or somebody else through this very specific lens that probably wasn't a very objective or real true uh, understanding of what was going on? Or just did I just see it through my own autobiography, you know what I mean? Yeah. And trying, trying to, attempting to remove that as much as possible, especially when, when dealing with other people. I struggled coming out of the military, man, because for the last, you know, eight, nine years being in special forces, like that, those types of individuals were the type of individuals that I was around 24 seven. I was with them more than my family. We broke bread together. We slept under the same roof and all the other things that, that, uh, combat does to strengthen those ties. So that to me was just like the epitome or the standard of human, uh, human interaction. And through ever since then, I tried to put that same standard of uh, achievement or um, outcome on everybody else that I came across, and that just left me frustrated. You know what I right. mean? And I realized, like my friend Scott Mann says, it may meet people where they're at. Right, you know right. I mean? So you're and talking I, about like being in a high, high-performing environment, mm-hmm. life or death. Right. Like for. Yeah, so everything was, everything was matter of fact. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Everyone was like, communicate. Hey, get to the fucking point. Yeah, yeah. Don't waste my fucking don't time. Don't waste my fucking time. Yeah. You know, like, we're, we're focused on outcomes and whatever our, our internal mission is. And we're doing that. And we're doing that together. And if somebody is not, um, is not working towards that or is pulling us away from it, then it's going to get met with immediately. We're going to, we're going to figure out why and we're going to rectify it. We're going to move on. So was there no room for like feelings or emotions? Like if it's like a dude was sad because like one of the guys got like, or gals got sort of taken out or something, like was there, I mean, I'm sure there was that, but anything, it was, it was either like execute or you can cry because, you know, someone was falling from the, for your team that you knew mm-hmm. and loved and cared about, but the in-between emotions, like you don't have time for that or? Yeah, pretty much, man. Just because like that, uh, it's like this fucking merry-go-round that doesn't stop. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, speaking from experience, losing people, like you don't have time to sit around and mourn that. You don't because you're going right back out and it's life or death again. You know what I mean? Wow. And so we're either working towards it or everybody's going to fucking die. You know what I mean? And that's why, like, people probably have – it takes some time to process that because that's going to have to be processed sooner or later at some, at point. some point in time. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And if you never give it any time, you know, it's going to uh, manifest negatively through some type of symptomology. You know what I mean? Right. At least that, that, that's what I've seen. Um and, and that can be from the healthiest of healthy individuals. And it's not like uh, an inability to cope. It's like, what's the most pressing issue of the time? You know what I mean? The most pressing thing is 
the next operation, the next mission, or preparing everybody to go and do that. So there's not time to really give that a lot of thought. At least, you know, I, I never, I never pondered the things that I've pondered uh, in the last three years when I was operational because there was just no time for it. It yeah. was just do, so do that's that the look that op, top, op tempo. That's the look that at least uh, from my perspective, I see is like a, like a robot, a machine, mm-hmm. like you program, this is the outcome, just do that, get it done. Totally. You know, and um, there is this, I guess I'm very like perceptive, so I could see that kind of look mm. in someone, you know, and and what what would be the the consequence of, like you said, at some point in in that person's life, they would have to process that, mm-hmm. and and so, um, what was that like for you, like coming out, especially with your uh, traumatic brain injury, and I mean, well, like. Going back to to life on the teams, when somebody like they fucked up, uh, they made a mistake, um, they were uh, held accountable for it. You know what I mean? So it wasn't just like, "Hey guys, like I slept in." You know what I mean? Or like, "Hey, I, I just didn't get it done. I got a lot of shit going on." Like that stuff just didn't fly. Yeah. It did not fly. So not only could you not say that, you would have to come sit in a circle of your peers and you would have to tell them not only you would have to own up to it, right? Hey, here's what happened here. Here's the mistakes. Here's the things that led up to it. But more importantly, like here's how I'm correcting it. Here's how we're going to, I'm going to be held accountable and here's how we're going to move forward. You know what I mean? That level of accountability was, uh, tied to everything in your life. You know what I mean? So you live, live this transparent, accountable lifestyle, which uh, I think is, is, is incredible. You know what I mean? And so that's what I struggled with. I struggled with coming out, like trying to get an organization off the ground, still trying to heal myself, trying to come back into the civil population, the civil sector. And that, that's not the normal way of doing things. And, uh, I, I like, it would make me angry. Like I, I didn't know how to, to deal with things like that. I was short with people. I'm like, why is this guy pontificating on fucking everything? Like get to the fucking point. And, uh, I just, I didn't do well, you know, and it, and it, I, and I thought, I thought everybody else was fucked up, right? <laughs> I was like, why, why are you all so fucked up? And it, it wasn't a matter of them being fucked up and or me being fucked up. It's just two different ways to experience and process the world. You know yeah. what I mean? And it wasn't, you know, through this growth and the evolution process where I realized, you know what, man? Like, not everybody's me. And I'm not everybody else. And that's that's just how it is. And I need to quit putting my autobiography on everybody, which basically means putting some expectation on them that's not them. You know what I mean? So figuring out, and that, that's the art of it. You know, that's yeah. the art of it. Walking that fine line of, hey, you know, trying to be understanding, compassionate, and also like walking this line of accountability with, with your relationships at the same time. Right. You know what I mean? And, and that's this interesting balance and dichotomy of what it means to, or is to be a human that I think, you know, we're all trying to figure out. You know? Yeah, yeah, and we're at we're in that point. Did you come to that understanding in that you said the three years of recovering? And- yeah, it's it's a great question. You know, I was just uh, me and Mark, Doctor Gordon, were just on uh, with Joe like uh, this week, and 
he was talking about, you know, how long did it take for you to become you again? And I'm, and I didn't really know how to answer that. And so I've thought about it a little bit from there. I'm like, I'm the, I, I, the person that I was, I'm no longer that person. You know what I mean? As just an older version of myself. And even like, uh, through the healing process, coming off all, all medications, feeling that I have my cognitive faculties and my, the ability to control emotions and, and my response to stimulus again, still took about, uh, you know, until very recently. And I, and we're all works in progress and I'm still very much a work in progress, but like, I, I think I made major improvements th- this last summer. You know what I mean? I was still probably holding the people to those standards, unfair to them, unfair to you, unfair to my wife, unfair to my children. Um, And it wasn't that I was trying to be unfair. I was just putting my autobiography on it. And I think it was just very recently, um, you know, Becky's pregnant now with twins and she's uh, so sick, as you know, with Mm -hmm. in her first trimester, she had to, to leave. And so here, you know, here we were, me and you here at the house, uh, earlier this summer, like my whole family's gone and, uh, I had to take some hard look at some things and take responsibility for them. Uh, and specifically that had to do with some financial, financial things. And, you know, it always takes two to tango for every situation, but I was like, I need to go, I need to take this time. I need to examine everything in my life that I haven't been looking at or mm-hmm. that I don't want to look at. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I need to see like, what I have contributed to this current condition, right? So, like, I needed to go back and I needed to mine the past. And I need to look at it objectively, you know what I mean? So, again, take my autobiography out of the equation and just try to see it for what it is and see it through her eyes, see it through my eyes, see it through as many, you know, uh, possibilities as possible to try to get a balanced perspective as possible to do a couple of things. One, identify actions that I no longer wanted to do, identify thoughts that I no longer wanted to let slip through my consciousness and come up with a course to correct them. You know what I mean? And, and through that process, that's kind of, I came to some of these conclusions like, Hey man, like I think my, the reason I struggle with, uh, with people uh, in general, uh, my wife specifically, and we have a great relationship. We had a good relationship then. We have a phenomenal relationship now. It's because I'm holding, uphold, trying to make them, up, uh, uh, uphold the standards of a special forces green beret. That's, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. what I, that's the conclusion I came to. Yes. And I was like, that's not fair to them. Yeah. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to anybody else. It's not fair to me. So how can I work on meeting people where they're at, specifically with our relationship, going back and looking at the things that I wasn't doing or I could do better and I could improve on to produce a different result? You know what I mean? And so I'm, you know, I'm a big guy on, you would call it a mission statement, an ideal self, a standard of performance, whatever you want to call it. But I have that for like everything in my life. I have my personal ideal self mission statement. I have one for my family. I have one for how we parent. Like everything I do, I feel like you should have and what the most ideal version of yourself is. And for me, it's principle based and, and then analyze yourself. Uh, as either your actions, your thoughts, your communication styles are getting you closer to it or further away. And because 
uh, having that outlined or understanding what that is in my life and every all these aspects that make life meaningful to me, it's like, okay, well, is the things that I'm doing, is that helping me to get closer to it or further away? And that's where you have to take really take a hard look. Like, hey, man, like where I'm falling short, one, like let's be honest, let's hold myself accountable just like I was on the teams with really internal sub- subjective stuff like that wouldn't come out, like, you know, how I emotionally respond or deal with things. And how can I improve that to – because if the future is possibility, and it is, then how can I pick the most ideal future or possibility possible, and then how can I work to continue to do that? And so I just said, what do I want my marriage to be? And it became really clear. And I was like, okay, well, I'm obviously not doing the things that I need to do to work towards that. So we're going to change it. And so that was a long process, you know what I mean, from getting out of the uh, – or having the head injury to now, you know what I mean. And there's a lot more to it than that. But, that, you know, that was a, a definite aspect of it where uh, I really had to work on myself internally to try to produce some external results. Yeah, which is awesome. I mean, I've been uh, through part of this process and been around and seen mm-hmm. like um, sort of the, you evolving, which mm-hmm. is really cool. And just to see your example of like being able to uh, identify certain things that weren't working and what was working and, and fix the things that weren't and even the ones that you didn't want to look at. Mm-hmm. And these circumstances kind of like brought themselves. They reared their ugly head to you, yet you didn't back down. You're like, you know, how can I like get my family back? And so while we were here, you know, like um, it, it was interesting, like uh just the dynamics at that time too. And, uh, there, there was tension. I don't, it was, I felt it. We were able to like talk about it, which was like awesome. And, uh, it was during that time where I felt, I always felt like you listened and you had like, like patience, but there was a line, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I felt like in the past few months, you really just like opened up to a point that, it's like really easy to like approach you about anything and just sort of lay it on a table, talk man to man about it. And, um, it's, it's been really cool to, it's just like any relationship. I just feel like that's, that's really lacking in society. Like when, like people aren't used to being held accountable. And, you know, I think the other thing is people aren't really communicating as mm-hmm. well, like because of all these technologies and the lack of social cues. And I don't know, like, it's just like a touchy subject or what it is that it's uncomfortable, but those are the things that like make us better, right? Yeah. Like those are the things that if it's uncomfortable, that's, that means that you're getting signals. Like you need to look at it. Yeah. You need to look at it. You might not want to like talk to other people, see if they see the same things. Cause you know, we know how like the brain works now. Like we've had blind spots. We have yeah, like absolutely. cognitive biases. We have our own, you know, personal biases, right? So, um, the ability to expand your consciousness and see a certain situation or, uh, an event through other people's eyes. Mm-hmm. And so that like increases that ability to be compassionate yeah. and, um, to understand like, yeah, like you were saying, like not everybody is like a, a green beret special force, you know, mm-hmm. and not everybody 
operates on that level of accountability. Right. And so now you understand, like, I can only control myself, but I also can understand, like, where people are coming from, but also communicate, like, listen, like, I need this to be done. Mm-hmm. This is why I need it to be done by this time. Mm-hmm. And, and give people the opportunity to, like, rise up. Yeah. Because... I think that's really lacking in society these days is no one's really talking to each other. They're texting to each other. They're, they're not even like calling each other on the phone or email and texting like social media, sending photos, like emoticons, like Mm -hmm. they're not like really expressing. And that's Mm -hmm. why it's important for me in this show to be in person because I can get all that feedback from you, you know, and, um, and vice versa. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's been really awesome to see your growth these last few months, to see even your family's growth, mm-hmm. to see this sort of balance and uh that dynamic equilibrium that's it's more like uh free flowing and, and flexible, but there's still a structure to it, so mm-hmm. there's just balance, right? Yeah. And um that's just indicative of what is possible when people hold themselves to higher standards. Yeah. I, I think, uh, well, like going back to talking about communicating and, and the way we're at right now with all the technological advances is like, we're talking, but we're not communicating. You know what I mean? Or we're chatting, whatever, you know, technological nuance you want to put on it. But kind of what I think, uh, what I, what I so value, and there's many things to value about, our friendship, our brothership is our ability to communicate. And the fact that as men, we've worked on communicating. And to me, so I see like emotions as like a call to action. And so we experience these emotions and it's really, it's giving us feedback through our central nervous system, right? And what I realize is like, hey, if I'm not being open with myself, first of all, I won't be able to try to, I won't be able to understand like, why am I, why am I feeling this? And what is it trying to tell me, you know, innately? And then two, have I been able to communicate what, why I'm feeling that way with somebody else and how we can work to resolve it together? Or can I be more clear about how we're doing something? You know what I mean? And, and that really makes you look at it, how you communicate and like, am I being, are we being clear? You know, are we getting our point across? And when the other person's talking, am I thinking about what I'm going to say or am I giving them all of my attention? Yeah. You know what I mean? And just trying to take it all in, you know, not really, you know, worried about what to say. I found like when you do that, like shit, man, like, like something just comes to you and you, you can give the, the person great feedback and what, what needs for that situation without like, not even listening to them, thinking about when you're going to talk again. You know what I mean? Yeah, listening's huge in communication, not just talking yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that, that's that been a cool dichotomy and, and evolution, you know, that I've been able to experience with just our friendship, you know, how we've grown through that. Yeah, yeah, it's been really cool, man. It's, uh, it's this whole other level. I think, again, just to have that, uh, that space to do that, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that I think people are really craving that. I think yeah. I'm seeing it all over the place, you know. I mean, like strangers don't talk to each other as we're around people, and and people are feeling more lonely than ever. Yeah. 
it's crazy, man. Everybody's hiding behind a screen or hiding behind their, like, their, some sort of, like, window, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's their car, uh, whether it's their screen or, yeah. com- like, smartphone computers. Uh, they lock themselves up in the house. They don't even get out of the house to experience, like, yeah. nature. Like, this is one of the beauties of living here, man. Yeah. Like, we have mountains around us. And, you know, maybe at a certain time in my life, I didn't really give a shit about all that stuff. I didn't care about flowers mm-hmm. or plants or eating vegetables or, you know, I mean, I did, but, um, but now there's this appreciation. I don't know if that just comes with age mm-hmm. or wisdom. I don't know, but, um, I think but, wisdom over age, you know, yeah. cause you have people that are older that maybe not, uh, are not on that wavelength. Right. Right. And then, and then of course not having a community of people that get you, you know, cause I mean, I'm a weirdo. I know you are too, man. And you know, we finally found our weirdo crew, yeah. the weirdo tribe. And, and, um, that was probably one of the things that I really missed about being on an ice hockey team. And, uh, when I was done, it was just like, I don't know. It was always something to work for or anytime I had like appointment the next day. Um, it got me out of bed if I didn't have something or an appointment or even now like a, a business or some sort of thing to like get up in the morning for and look forward to. Um, I don't have kids. I used to have pets, so that kind of helped, right? Sure. So there's some things that I think there's so many things now. There's tools that people can use to, you know, finally feel like there's something to this life because mm-hmm. it's easy to totally get lost in the bullshit and the noise out there. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a process they call what waking up. You know, you kind of realize like. What 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 am I doing here? You know what I mean. And at that point, you got to figure out like, well, what is meaningful for my life, or what is significant for my life, or if life is if the human experience is suffering and it is, then what can you find to make your that suffering worth it, or to even transcend it? You know what I mean. And I think that's the the plight of the divine individual, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, we're all here in this this precious human life, and there's no manual, right? Yeah. And, you know, we're just kind of winging it, uh, including the people that consider themselves experts. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked with so many people, been so many times behind the scenes. They're really good at a certain skill, but the rest of their life is in shambles. Yeah. And there's this perceived... Uh, thing in the media or whatever that they're living these awesome lives and you know i'm laughing because you know i've been able to to do amazing things with very little resources and um and some people have all their resources in the world mm-hmm. and they're just like lost and miserable yeah. so you know i just i just want you know that people to to sort of look within you know i mean like you said i guess Part of the frustration is that everybody's on their own timeline, mm-hmm. and so they all we all ripen at different rates. Right. So some people, their thing right now is to to you know it's all vanity, yeah. look good, have like nice shiny things in their life, and 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 that's cool until the point where you know maybe they just realize like this is not it, you know. Yeah. So I'm just and you as well, like we're just putting out information about. There's this other way of living that's truly living. Sure. You know? And um, 
yeah, it's, it's, I'm grateful that I, I'm understanding this mm. and, and I'm excited about like the future, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I think going back to my good buddy, Mark Gordon, he's like, you have to, uh, create and be the change that you want to see, you know, and you realize like you can't change anybody else, nor, nor should you, cause they have to come through it in their own, on their own terms, through their own experiences, through their own, through their own understanding. And all you can do is, create and be you know what i mean and uh you can talk down to somebody but that never works you can uh, talk above somebody that doesn't work except as difficult that as that is and and be the example because that speaks louder than words actions you know what i mean yeah it's it's loud man when somebody does that and what i found was you know i had this hope but it was it wasn't a pure intention because the intention was like if I see somebody that needs some change in their life rather than say something I'm gonna be the example. But my example is so loud that they end up resenting me mm-hmm. because now it makes their shit even more yeah. like amplified. Right. You know? And then what was funny was I didn't really understand what they were feeling until it happened to me, mm. you know? And uh, oddly enough, it was you, like living this last summer, like, like you were so disciplined, man. And and I had been. It was almost like I go through waves. So it was like, now you were like just kicking ass, and I was just sitting there like resenting you. <laughs> <laughs> but then it was like cool because it enabled me to see like my own insecurities and mm-hmm. then be like, it's not Andrew. Andrew's doing something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's like, it's up to me to like see that as an inspiration and motivation or like a work of art. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then basically I got out of that mindset and said like, like that's, that's all on me, man. I need to just step up my game and, and, um, and then it just started shifting from there. But it's so much, it's such a mature point of view, you know, cause it, the easier thing to do is to kind of to play the victim of it. Like, or, you know, blame somebody else for something that's being made apparent. However you see it in, in your life, you know what I mean? But it takes a tremendous amount of courage, I would say, to look at that and see it for what it is. We, we all do that to some extent, right? Yeah, it's funny because um, I worked with certain uh, sort of people in professional arenas, right. and and uh, so you've worked with a ton of people. In <laughs> <laughs> and what was weird to me was that. Um, for me to outperform them Mm -hmm. and I've never like been a professional in that aspect, you know, I signed a contract and making like lots of money or something. But, um, but the point is, is that we're all human and does it matter if somebody is a celebrity or an athlete or some, you know, going to bring people to Mars and it's like sending rockets to space and all that stuff. Like, like, or just, everyday regular mom and pops that are working their asses off Mm -hmm. you know it's just to make a better life for like their kids like like everybody's in this like sort of hard life man you know and and the way the system is built you know it's not an excuse but it's an opportunity to make it better Mm -hmm. and uh to not be a victim and you know it's wherever you're at like as you and i know 
like the magic is like deciding that you want something better mm. and then just going for it, you know, and being willing to, in my case, or maybe your case too, just be willing to, to risk it all, you know, mm-hmm. and, and all of a sudden these flow moments, flow moments, magic happens where somebody out of the blue calls you up and it's like, Hey, I just thought about you and yeah. they offer you something. And you're just like, Oh my God, like that's incredible. Most wild, like opportunities and synchronicities, like just con- like unfold. In yeah. Front of you, you know what I mean? Without yeah. like you like going after it, you know, like I, it's a byproduct of living that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then just pushing, uh, even when it's hard and, mm-hmm. and taking a break and rest when you need to. And just don't ever fucking give up, man, mm-hmm. because like three feet from gold, you know, that yeah. story is just like every story has, that's what makes a movie, a story, your life It's a video game. Like it's challenging, mm-hmm. but if you just stick it out, Man, it's amazing, like, what happens, like, the openings that yeah. occur from it. You know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? Yeah. That go, like, that goes with anything. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. What do you do when you find relationships in your life that are that you know to be toxic? Um, like, at what point do you have to say, hey, we got to go our separate ways in, a, in the most loving manner as possible? Yeah, it's it's tough, man. I mean, it, it depends on how attached I am to that person, you know. Yeah. And, um, I'm pretty like forgiving in certain aspects until there's a line sure. that once it's crossed, you know. But yeah, it's, it it just depends on um, my threshold mm. of that particular person. So, yeah. but um, at that point, I give them every opportunity to 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 change to to get better and you know after a while i'm just speaking to a wall mm-hmm. you know um and as we were just saying earlier like we can't change people yeah uh, the best to do is just be an example and but there are certain times where like i hear the same victim story over and over again and it's just like hot enough man yeah. i'm just like like I can't be your ear anymore. You're wasting my time in the right. early stages. Like I'm happy to be there, but if you keep doing the same stuff and think that I can bail you out or think that, you know, Tony will just listen to me again, mm-hmm. tell the same story. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, man, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. So there is a line for sure. And, and, uh, it doesn't mean that I'll never be there again for them because i've had people that cut me out of their lives completely like mm-hmm. i'm human i fucked up yeah and i've tried to uh you know go and apologize and and say i was wrong and they were like still they didn't want to be part of want me in their lives anymore and mm-hmm. i fully respect that but at least i did my part and like i can look at myself in the mirror and said i gave it a chance yeah. and if they said no i respect that but I won't go in my grave thinking, what if I, I didn't say it, you know, or mm-hmm. I never like approached them and like owned up to it. Yeah. I love that, man. Like what, uh, can I go to my grave saying I owned up to everything or I pursued or, you know, didn't have any regrets. Is there anything at this point that you want to be doing that you're at least not like working towards in some aspect of your life as far as like, 
these are things I want to live for without regrets and you haven't yet made a plan of action for? I've been really blessed, man, in this life that I've pretty much checked up a lot, checked off a lot of the stuff on my bucket list. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some things that I'm still curious about that I still think about the people that love me, man, because I I still think about the ability to um, put on a wingsuit, Mm. you know, because I I enjoyed uh, my only time skydiving. Um, I was in tandem. I had to land myself. (laughs) I did everything wrong. I still lived. (laughs) I I, I did everything against the book. And um, I made it. Would you recommend that? Would you recommend that for anybody else? I would not recommend that. (laughs) I'm a special case. Uh, Anybody that knows me, I I must have many lives. You know, a cat, like a cat. Yeah, no doubt. But... um, you know, I'm just grateful that I am here, and and because of that, all those near death experiences, and I've I pres- like life is precious. Yeah, I still forget though, man. That's the human part. You yeah. know, it's just like how many times I have to like almost die. Yeah, to to really live, you know. But I can say I've lived, man. Like, Absolutely. you know, so wingsuit flying would be one of them um i don't i don't feel the need that i need to like like one up it every time and like fly through like the golden arches of utah or something Mm -hmm. like with the wingsuit but i just want to be up high like soaring for long distances and uh so that's that's like the extreme one um the more grounded one would be um just to to help so many people wake up um, and not help them wake up because I think they just wake up on their own accord because of life circumstances. Sure. You know, it just whacks you upside the head and says like fucking wake up, you know? Yeah. So I just want to be there when they do wake up yeah. and I want to provide the resources so that they can leverage my uh, wisdom, my life on earth and things that I've learned of what works, what doesn't, and just share that with them and give them the opportunity to assimilate it and, and create um, in their own unique style. You know, I don't want to tell them what to do. I'm not a fucking guru. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really mean that, not just the title of a movie, you know? Yeah. That sounds cool. Um, but, yeah, I just, I, I, I just want to get people to understand that there's something more than what they're living at right yeah. now. There's so much more that can squeeze out of life. Tony, they say you can change from inspiration or desperation. Do you really think people can really make a true change unless they're at a desperate mode? Can they really change from inspiration? Do you think in your experience? Can they change from inspiration? Yeah. Oh, without, man, being de- without being desperate to make a change. It's a. It's definitely rare. Yeah, I think so, man. I think most people change out of desperation, mm-hmm. like pretty much hitting rock bottom or coming close to rock bottom in their own way. And inspiration, man, I was it. Inspiration, motivation, old junkie. Mm-hmm. So I listened to tapes. It would pump me up, and then I'd go back to my old habits. Like I used to be a night owl, and I don't know if that was just from birth or genetics i mean i remember that as early on as i can remember being Mm -hmm. a child but 
Um, and then certainly getting hit in the head. That's like why I, I love your story because your story helped me heal my brain because mm. I had a lot of symptoms yep. that once I heard what was going on with you and all the other folks out there that had a uh, traumatic brain injury or, or at least injuries to the body, yeah. uh, the nervous system. So, um, yeah, once, once I saw like, I got my brain fixed. Then I realized like all those things are great tools, but I think, and and you talked about on, on Joe's show, right? Like the spiritual motivational stuff, the self help, that's not the, the answer. Like, and, and that's where we're bringing awareness now is, mm-hmm. is like, let's look at what's going on in your body. Mm-hmm. You know, what you're deficient and insufficient in, as you say, and, and um, once I got those things brought to an optimal level, I mean, it was night and day, man. Yeah. Like, it was, I did all the spiritual things. I meditated. I almost died from meditation. Yeah. Like, how the fuck did that happen? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's some serious meditation, man. That's meditation on the wild side. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, yeah, I point out, I was hooking electrodes to my brain, too, and you know, I would get into these flow states temporarily, but um, that is just as addictive, man. Yeah. And that's also a double-edged sword, man. Yeah. It's it's a razor's edge. I mean, just because you're in flow does not mean that you're going to be limitless. Mm-hmm. You know, you can die. I yeah. mean, all these extreme athletes have died because that was their way of chasing their demons out of them because I've suffered from my morning demons. and. Sure. And uh, that was the hardest part was just getting out of bed for years, man. And uh, once I got the uh, nutrients put back in my body and and it was like, holy shit, there was nothing wrong with me, man. Like, it was just my brain was not working at its 100% capacity. So that changed everything. So inspiration is awesome, you know. Like, I like how Joe says, he says... It's like uh, bathing. You have to like bathe every often with inspiration. Mm-hmm. But that's just not enough. Not taking a shower every day is not going to just change your life. Mm. You know, like you need to do all the other things. And so, um, with my experience of nearly dying, having these desperation moments of like uh, existential crisis, like what the fuck is this? this reality you know and, mm-hmm. and why is it that the person i'm in a relationship is not seeing the reality that i'm seeing and and we're having a a, a disagreement but we're really saying the same thing that they see reality a certain way and that they are also frustrated with life and and that's one way that us humans connect and and this is going to bring me back to your story of mm-hmm. how you got into the military but i think 9-11 catastrophes for a nation like being attacked just changes the status quo changes like life being comfortable we're getting hella comfortable right now in this country in this world and um like why do we need a a catastrophe to wake up Mm -hmm. and treat each other right and you know do better with our lives right we we get all sort of addicted to 
a, a drug, our bodies produce its own pharmacy. And so it doesn't necessarily be like hard drugs. Mm-hmm. It can just be your social media account, you know, that you're addicted to. And that's keeping you from truly living your life. And totally. it can, doesn't have to be alcohol, uh, cigarettes, you know, marijuana, whatever it is. Like we're all got a, we all got advice that, like you said, we're not willing, not wanting to look at. Yeah. We know what we need to change. Yeah. But usually we need some sort of catastrophe like 9-11, which in New York City, man, I remember at post 9-11 how cool people were. And then going there like a few years later and you start to see that it's, it's starting to lose that that feeling Mm -hmm. so you know i was like i hope that we don't need some sort of war on our soil to to wake up you know but it could just be like a war in its own version in their in your own life so to answer your question man it's uh inspiration rarely works you know yeah yeah that's fascinating fascinating response dude and we love it, man. I love YouTube motivational videos. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I was joking with Matthew on the prior podcast. It was yeah. like even podcasts are addicting, mm-hmm. you know. And um, it's just being honest. Like, I appreciate people listening. Yeah. Um, I, I hope you keep listening. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'd much rather people live their life than listen to this podcast right I, yeah. that was always my goal with clients or anybody i worked with that they got so good that they could just fire me yeah you know that i didn't they didn't need to rely on me to to inspire them or motivate them but they graduated to that level in the video game where yeah. you know they're in, in now in a new beast mode and in a new um stage versus just a a, a fleeting flow state Mm -hmm. like now you're in a flow stage you're Mm -hmm. like operating in flow at that level like consistently and more permanently i was gonna say do you think people can can misuse flow uh because i don't know that the the mundane things of life that that's still that's still here we have to experience and do the mundane things of life and if we're just we're looking for the next flow state we can miss the opportunity to do the things that we need to do in our life that are not maybe uh, accentuated by a flow state yes yeah, so that just like redefines a flow state because it's defined as like a peak experience mm-hmm. and defined as um, I like what Stephen Collar says it's when you perform your best and you feel your best, right? Yeah. And I think that that's not entirely true. Like, I love Stephen and his work, but the mundane is that's the true test. If yeah. you can enter flow when you're washing dishes, yeah. paying the bills, totally hanging out with your kids and animals, and, and, uh, just the normal day-to-day things of life, like eating a meal, breathing, those are, to me, that's the test because, like, we've all had peak states, mm. and it's very very addicting, right? Because you think that, 
like essentially you want to live in that state all the right. time. I think it is possible. I think that it's happening more consistently, but I don't think it's like a permanent, like limitless peak state where you're mm-hmm. just, you know, I mean, I've yet to see somebody pull that off. Yeah. Um, it's more like, to me, it's like, as you say, um, it's symphony. Mm-hmm. There, there's just these ebbs and flows and there's different instruments and different sounds. And sometimes there's that part of the symphony where it's just like, bah, bah, bah. it's just, it's on, you yeah. know? And then other times it's just super mellow, right? And mm-hmm. so flow states to me, it's, is yeah, you're having these like peak experiences, whether they're like that high frequency or, and, or those low frequencies mm-hmm. and as many of them. So that's when it becomes a stage yeah. because now you're having it so consistent in your life because you're, you're doing those mundane things you're doing the work and oddly enough, man, I really looking back in my life, all mm-hmm. the times that I worked my ass off, um, that was what was hard to transition from being an athlete and going into a civilian world of getting a job, right? It was because I love what I did. Mm-hmm. I worked my ass off and then magic would happen, man. Mm-hmm. Miracles. Like mm-hmm. I would do these things. I was like, how the hell did I do that? Mm-hmm. Like, I would wind up for a slap shot from center ice and blast it over the goalie's shoulder, and it just the as the hole was the size of the puck. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and crazy. I was like, I I, I I hit the roof of the net. The water ball flew up. My teammate jumped up. I was like, "Whoa, what the fuck? How did you do that?" I'm like, yeah. "I don't know how I did that." Right. So looking back, it was like I worked to that. I earned. Yeah. That that moment, and I think flow really is fortuitous because um, you put yourself in those environments, uh, both mundane and uh, all the tools that we have access to now, and 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 then you're just it's it's I guess it's a probability thing, which I don't even really hundred percent buy into, but. Um, it happens more consistently. It's, mm. it's really neat. It, yeah. It's just you're in a, a just a, a a consistent flow. Mm. I like you said, man. Tools, and we talk about it all the time. Like they're tools, and you want as many tools as possible in your toolkit or your tool bag. You know, yeah. You know how to use them, but I think again, like it's the importance of having being defined by a vision of the future, whatever that is for you or the individual. You know what I mean? But assessing. Hey, the use of this tool in pursuit of this vision of the future, am I producing the effects that I want or am I coming up short? And then you can kind of gauge the tools, you know what I mean, in the process that you're, you're implementing them or not implementing them, whatever the, the tools are, because everything is just really a tool if you think about it. Yeah. You know, and coming up with that unique process for you, the individual, is another beautiful thing about the human process, I feel. Yeah, what's amazing is um, for people that say that they don't have the right tools or the right gear or the right, you know, man, like I heard your story, you you had like these like shoes, like everybody had the fancy shoes and you had just regular, 
you know, I don't know, with the air walks or something. And, <laughs> and you were just outperforming everybody. I had like nothing to do with the shoe. Right. You know, like. They're talking about like back in like uh, grade school, right? Everybody like wanted the cool Nike sharks and like thought like that would enhance performance. You know, it was just really a status thing before you even yeah. knew it was status. And we didn't, we didn't have that. You know, we just had whatever we could afford. But the point was, is like, I was going to kick everybody's ass regardless of what <laughs> fucking shoes I was wearing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, which, which go out there and do it, man. Yeah. Which my point is that you're the fucking tool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big tool. You're a big tool, man. <laughs> Quit being a fucking tool. Um, yeah, we are like the tool. I mean, when you understand like physics and, and well, leverage. I think what you're getting to, man, is like, we're enough. We're enough, man. You know That's what I mean? Saying, like when yeah. you get into it, then you're like, okay, well, now how can I apply it? Yeah, it's not like, about not having the tools. But if you don't know where you're going, how are you going to assess if what you're doing is working? You know what I mean? It's a, to me, like that's just like fucking number one. Where are you going? Do you know where you're going? Because if you don't, how the fuck are you going to know if you get there? Well, you know? a lot of people don't know. And so, so they're like, the how the fuck do I know where to go? And I'm like, well, get off your goddamn phone, yeah. you know, and, and take a walk out in nature, right? Because this is a thing that I think people are missing, man. They're, they're not moving their bodies. Yeah. It doesn't need to be like freaking CrossFit or something. Yeah, like just, if that floats your boat, awesome. Sure. But like go for a walk, you know? And just look around you, like, observe, observe people, observe nature, mm-hmm. observe, like, the topography, like, observe animals, observe the sky. Right. Like, there's already all this science that's coming out, like, how that, like, shifts the brain into sort of that daydream mode is why we were in school and we couldn't sit still we would look out the window because there's something beautiful out there and it helped you get into alpha state. Mm-hmm. And and then all of a sudden the vision comes. Mm-hmm. It's like a download. You're like, holy shit, man! Like, and usually it's what you loved when you were young, man. Mm-hmm. Before you got infiltrated by well-meaning people yeah. and systems that told you otherwise, you know. So that's that's essentially en- enabling the tool, you know, that you're enough. You had this map now in your mind. And as we were saying, like, it's, it's amazing, man. Like you can literally, in my experience, like code, mm-hmm. like your direction and code what you want in your life and, yeah. and then take the appropriate action. Because what happened to me was when I got into flow state, I started getting into the more esoteric arts, like meditation. I was just meditating naturally. I didn't know that I was meditating. And I, I was visualizing and, and then I just started reading up on it. And so I was just getting all that information, but I kept mistaking that because that state is what the flow genome project calls, um, stir the acronym stir. So selflessness, timelessness, effortlessness, mm-hmm. and richness, mm-hmm. because I was having all those things. I, I made a mistake thinking I didn't have to work anymore. Mm-hmm. All I had to do is meditate, do a vision board or whatever, and it would just happen like mm-hmm. the secret, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it did, but most often it didn't. You know, I just got high off my own supply, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, got blissed out and bliss junkie. And I was just information, information, just consuming, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, recently I, I, I realized, like, through the Flow Genome Project, and there, of course, 
like everything was awesome, but the thing that stuck up in my head was, does it grow corn? This sure. old Hopi uh, Native American saying is, that's great, yeah. but does it grow corn? Because everybody's talking, talking, talking. They sound like an expert. They're spilling out all this information like they they actually lived it, but they probably just read it in the book. They read a bunch of books. They're blogging about it, but they never actually executed it. They've never been in war like you had where you say I'm speaking from experience, you know, and it's like, it's like they're just parroting. Yeah. And, and I realized I was like, holy shit, that's, that's what's funny because I believe in coaching, but a lot of life coaches are telling people what to do. But they haven't even fucking done it themselves, you know? So that's just, that's not growing corn. No, man. No. I'm the same way. Like, I'm a pragmatist. You know what I mean? So, like, it's kind of like, can I apply it to my life and derive a result or a benefit from it? If not, then it's fucking get out of here. And if you're, if you're like selling this, whatever it is, or, or just relaying that information, and I'm not seeing it evident in your own life, You've lost all credibility with me. You know what I mean? Like, like who are you fucking, uh, what qualifies you to life coach somebody, man? Like, you know, do you have a gold medal? No. <laughs> well, maybe you can find some people on there out there that will listen to you. Yeah. I mean, and it doesn't have to be like a gold medal. Like they're yeah. actually done what they're telling you yeah. to do, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's wild. It's rampant. I mean, internet marketing is ridiculous, man. Mm-hmm. Like, just teaching people how to make money. We know a lot of the people making money are the ones teaching people how to make money. You know, it's like a fucking racket. A seminar about how to have a seminar. Yeah. <laughs> and on and on. Teach Funny. people how to have seminars, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's wild, man. It's, it's a wacky world. And, and, uh, but let's get back to the military, man. <laughs> the, Let's so, do it. 9-11, man. 9-11? Yeah, that happened. and um, I was in college, and uh, so, I, you know, it was uh, a memorable experience for me, just like everybody else. But I was pursuing my life's passion at the time. I would say that took always a close second. Like, I don't know, a, a young male growing up in Texas, you know, you looked for... Um, you wanted to play football and was, you know, loved movies about combat and war. That's just part of being a boy, you know? Um, and so that always seemed cool to me, but football was always what I wanted to do. So I was okay. I was like, well, I'm pursuing the things I want to do, but I always thought like as things progressed, uh, irrelevant of policy or whatever public opinion is, because I could care less about that. But I was like, there's people, there's men my own age tonight, and they're putting their life on the line for the, for the country or for, for freedom or democracy, uh, whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, I can remember at 21, 22, that, that, that really sticking with me, you know what I mean? And, uh, I was like, if this doesn't ever work out, um, you know, being football, that that would be a, a, a viable or plausible, you know, way to go. And, uh, so once I graduated college and, uh, you know, the football playing days were over, like, I didn't even have to think about it. You know what I mean? Like, I knew what was going to happen next. And it was that. And, uh, I realized, like, everything in my entire life up until that point 
had prepared me for to move to that next stage, you know, that next arena. And I'm sure you've some, you know, realized similar experiences. Yeah. It's what, you know? like sort of a destiny in some it, ways. Yeah. Or fate you know, or, like you kind of you die into the finite, you know, your finite self and you realize that these things are kind of what could be narrowing you down to a few possibilities. And for me, it was, uh, it was really easy and go back to inspiration. You know, I, again, like having a vision of the future uh, and being inspired by that and then being able to gauge the process for me, like I always had that and until, you know, uh, injuries and I got, I got rocked by the circumstances for life and, I lost my vision of the future, but, but, uh, we can get into that, but going back, you know, to the military, like that's what inspired me, you know what I mean? And like, so, so beautiful. Like where does inspiration come from? I, I don't know, but it's there and you can't deny it. You know what I mean? You also can't physically measure it, but it exists. It's real. You know what I mean? And, uh, when it's authentic, that's something that just, I don't know if you take a hold of it or it takes a hold of you, but it was like, we're doing this, you know, and I just had my heart and my mind set on it. And, uh, and, um, looking at all the different, uh, special operations arena because, you know, I wanted to be a tough guy. And I thought, you know, that's what tough guys would do. Uh, my cousins were involved in the SEAL teams. And so, you know, kind of crazy reason now I think about it, but I didn't want to be, I didn't want to follow anybody else's footsteps in the family. Uh, so I wanted to pave my own way, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I, I can honestly say this, anything that's been uh, earned in my life was not given, you know what I mean? It wasn't coming through status or because somebody, you know, paved the way for me. It was going out there and doing it. And I think that's, you know, that's the most rewarding way to do it. And I was like, okay, well, let's do Special Forces, uh, Green Beret. And uh, post 9-11, uh, Secretary Rumsfeld at the time made this uh, deal where, uh, you can come off the street and go into Green Beret training, the training pipeline, which uh, wasn't a thing since Vietnam. Well, yeah. So they made it uh, a deal in Vietnam because they needed uh, more Green Berets. So normally you would be required to have a certain level of actual experience in the Army before you could even try out and a certain rank uh, and a certain number of years. So you had to have done a significant amount of Army time and training and, and experience. But if you met these certain requirements that showed you to be somewhat of a experienced or mature individual with met, met their intelligence and their physical uh, guidelines, you could earn the right to try out. Uh, off the street, essentially. And I was able to earn that program and then go into special forces that way. Which is wild about like timing or mm -hmm. divine timing, yeah. you know? But yeah. Yeah, that was it. Uh, what do you want to, where do you want to go with military, man? Like, yeah, I uh, mean, so you, um, 9 11 happened. It was like, was that an inspirational thing or a motivational thing? Like, cause, or it was like, okay, the military was the next best option. But when 9-11 happened at that time, I was like, well, this is a, this that's is. That's what made it real for me. Like yeah. that, that's like when I knew like my peer group, you know what I mean? Was, uh, out there fighting. Like I said, good, bad, or indifferent or whatever your viewpoint on, on that is. And, and mine is that it's, it, it is and was a good thing. Um, that, um, I couldn't, I've been able to live my life with zero regrets, zero. 
And I knew that I wouldn't be able to say that if I didn't go out there and serve, you know, in that capacity, uh, as you know, and, uh, they have their physical guidelines and, and some people, you know, for, for, for reasons like you, you with your hearing, you know, you can't do it. Like there's nothing you can do about that. You know what I mean? Like you, life moves on. You move on. Yeah. I try to, exactly. I try to like, go in the like, military. You raised your hand. Let's yeah. go. You, you, we're not going to take you, you yeah. know, for this reason. Like, that no regrets you can have in your like you answered the call they said no like what can you do you can't do anything else you know so for me it was like hey man like i feel led to go because of this reason 9-11 i mean i didn't wake up every day and, and think you know 9-11 you know I, the, the situation affected me like everybody else to a certain extent and at that point it was like hey man like i i can't let other people uh lead this fight you know what i mean i need to be involved in it um i think i'm i have unique gifts and talents that could be used for for these reasons and so uh that's what led me there man and you know there's a, a, a higher sense of purpose um to and commitment and which was right in line with how i've lived my life through everything up until that point. So again, that's why it was just an easy for me. It was a real easy transition and also fast forward and, you know, a decade, it was why it was so difficult when I was rocked with traumatic brain injury. You know, my identity I had realized after much later contemplation had been wrapped up. You know, we all wear our masks. Mine had been as an athlete and as a green beret and I never stopped to think anything else of it. I was so, happy, you know, and pursuing what, uh, and, and uh, you know, a husband and a father pursuing my life's passions and my life's, uh, inspiration that when, when those masks come off, you have to really, you know, take a good look inside to try to figure out what, what am I about? You know what I mean? Especially when, uh, it comes, it ends as you see it to be premature, you know? Um, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of us. Oh, yeah. I mean, but on. this brings up like transition now, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of people in life, they they can't do what they were identified with yeah. anymore. And, yeah. and they're now it's like, now what? Yeah. Now what I do like, and they get a little sad or depressed, yeah. you know, like, cause they miss it. They can't be an athlete anymore. They can't yeah. like serve in the military anymore. Like, um, what's next? Great, so. man. Uh, can I speak a little bit more on that? Yeah. Like, so again, like this is why it's so important for the individual to be defined by a vision of the of the future and so when i got rocked it got to be like oh my god i can't be a special forces green beret anymore you know i'm supposed to be an operator i'm supposed to leave men into battle and and face and kill evil and uh, i'm supposed to die in combat and uh die the warrior's death or what i thought you know was a warrior's death and uh you know now i'm just sit here and I, I what am i supposed to do this is this is what i was supposed to do this was my identity and you can put frame that on on any situation on anybody's life we all go through that and you start to realize like these things are situational circumstantial and uh ever changing you know what i mean and, and that's when i realized like well is there anything that is timeless or changeless uh and, and for me it was the understanding of like principles uh and evil i mean through the human ex evolution of time you look at these different principles and that's how we evolved to pursue these higher principles and to me that that was timeless and that was changeless and i was so i started to look at like, well, what were the key principles 
that drove, you know, being an athlete, being a Green Beret, you know, uh, what was it about that where I derived purpose and fulfillment? And uh, so I took a good look at that, you know what I mean? And I was able, it wasn't hard. You were able to isolate it very, very easily. Like these f- factors here are with a driving force behind that. And, and those, those specific deals, being an athlete, bringing Green Beret as a vehicle that drove me towards these things. It was a temporary vehicle, you know, and life is ever-changing. Our seasons are ever-changing. And that was like, I feel so fortunate to be afforded that opportunity to come to these conclusions, at least in my own life, because I was oblivious to it at the time, you know, and I was living a life of purpose. But rocked by circumstance, so I'm sick, you know, at this time, there was no Warrior Angels Foundation. I didn't know about Mark Gordon or anything else. It was just like, hey, you have a brain injury. Like, that is like the most hardening blow you can get when you think, like, all I want to do is be an operator and I can't be an operator anymore. But not only that, you have a damaged brain. Like, what does that mean? At the and age of 32, you know? And, uh, like, I didn't even know the difference between, I think at that point, like a le- the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. I didn't know anything about the brain. Like, you know what I mean? It's never thought about it. No, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't important to me. Never. And no- nothing in that, and at, up until that point had been a hindrance to my brain, at least that I was aware of. So there was no reason to think about it. You know what I mean? Then you get, then you're sick, man. Like your health starts to go. And I'm talking about a rapid decline your psychological health and emotional, uh, being able, the ability to be in control of emotions or not react to them, you know, starts to go. And so the structure of my reality was fracturing around me. And, uh, I couldn't, uh, it was so difficult Which to Which is an irony because you blew up stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So now your reality is blowing up. Yeah, reality reality's blowing up and it's just trying to come to like and so be, because I, I was uh I had a a great sense I derived a great sense of purpose from the things that I did in my life, taking that away, taking my uh health away, taking my psychological uh emotional well being away. Then uh my boys got sick, like um, you know, life and death situations, uh, sick. It was just, it was a very difficult, dark period. And they call it a dark night of the soul. And, and I think it, they call it the dark night of the soul because you come to this conclusion that, Hey, nobody else can live your life for you. Nobody else can solve the problems of your life for you because it's your life. You can't give it away to a doctor. You can't give it away to a lawyer or a financial institution bank whatever so you know and you I had got, a perfect storm occurring yeah it was a perfect storm you know what i mean and you know i, I look back at it now and, and and i realize like man like these things i i feel so i don't care what anybody else thinks so, you know i i feel like these things happen for a reason because i am in a unique position based off my life experience to go through this to answer it 
to really understand the problem so that we could provide a solution and information for others who are traveling similar, similar terrain to also be able to come up with their own solutions through maybe some similar experiences or tools, you know, that, that we were able to use. You know what I mean? And like, I've thought a lot about it. Like, when so many other people through the exact same scenario, people that I knew well, took their own life. Like, why is it like one, you know, I was able to, uh, fight against that to find a solution, but then to start an organization and to really drive uh, social change through the work that we're doing now to bring it, bring it to other people. You know what I mean? So to me, it's not like, again, I say it, I said it before, like what I thought was the worst thing in my life is really turned out to be the best thing in my life because I had to change the way I do everything. I had to change the way I think about and process everything. I had to change the way I interact with people. I had to change myself. I had to look for answers where we thought there were no answers. And what you realize is you're enough. You have not only do you know have the have the know the right questions to ask, you have the answers inside of you already. You just have to get to that point where you shed the masks the identities, the autobiographies, and you start to see a new reality. You know, uh, I, I don't know if it's the reality, but you see a different reality than the one you saw through the guise of those masks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you start to, um, you start to have a greater appreciation for life and for people in their own experience, journey and struggle and can be able to meet them with more compassion while being able to continue to be defined by your own vision of the future and have a process to move yourself closer to it. You know, like when we got off social media earlier this summer, you know, it was a good example. We were like, man, is like, is yes, there's merit to this, but how much? And that's like, that's when you did the social media fast, you know what I mean? And you just saw this tremendous increase in productivity and, and getting closer to things you wanted to do. And to me, like it reiterated the, uh, the fact that like, Hey, we should, what if we did that with everything in our life? You know what I mean? Like, what if like everything I did on the internet was for a purpose? You know what I mean? But then you like go even deeper. Like, what if every thought that I had was towards a purpose, you know what I mean? And towards our, in a relationship, how could I elevate every relationship that I am and am in, or how can I elevate every circumstance, you know, that I'm in to be, because I think you can always, wherever you're at, you can make it worse or you can make it better by your attitude and your effort. You know what I mean? Yeah. And these are some of these process processes that, that, at least I came to understand through what many people would call a tragedy, which I just no longer see it that way. I think the only tragedy is becoming um, bitter and corrupted and uh, being a, v- a victim to it instead of a, a creator of your circumstance and your reality. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I've been on both sides of the coin, and I certainly understand what it's like to be sort of feeling like the underdog, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, but I think it is just that decision, man. Like, you know, like there have been so many times I wanted to kill myself in my life, you know, and, and, uh, I don't know that dark night of the soul or what, man, I just woke up the next day and was just 
had a new awakening or something. Mm. Like, I don't know. That's just part of our nature as human beings, you know, like that's tough. Right. But, um, yeah, it's, it's the social media thing is interesting too. And, Mm. and, uh, geez, man, there's so much noise out there. It's understandable, like why people are confused, you know. Yeah, and, totally. And and what we're doing now, I feel like it's reframing war because we're no longer like going from smashing other bodies or getting smashed by other bodies in sports, you know. To mm-hmm. um, you know, you went into like actual combat, but now it's like we're in a war of like getting out there to, to serve other people, to, to rescue them in mm-hmm. some ways from like the war of their own minds, you know, and called WMDs weapons of mass distraction. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, that's what I see it. Like there's all these things out there that are distracting us for, for our true calling, whatever that is for, for the individual, you know what I mean? But what is that? What is that true calling? You know? Yeah. And then going from weapons of mass a distraction and we're bringing weapons of mass connection. Yeah. You know, like we're literally like plucking people out of the, uh, sort of dark places and like showing them that there is another way. There is a solution to where you're at. Mm-hmm. And, um, it really does for me come down to like correcting the brain first and foremost. Yeah. And then, body mind spirit just sort of falls into place from there and and i think people just sort of you know maybe there is a a special order based on a person's individuality yeah but i for sure know for a fact now man like getting a blood test and actually seeing my numbers yeah like there is no like question yeah from there like that is your numbers. That's yeah. what, that's what's going on. Yeah. Now let's bring your numbers to here. You totally, know? man. Like, I, you know, I think we are spiritual beings or psychological, you know, how, however you want to frame that, but we're also physical, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like, so like, here's what we know. And like, not just based off our own experience, like objectively, if the brain is incoherent, you're incoherent. If the brain is unorganized, you're unorganized. And really that goes anywhere in that symphony of the body and the system's biology. But if that's not where it needs to be, you can't be where you need to be. And uh, and uh, that's one of those things like you can find that through inspiration or desperation. I think me and you found it more through a a desperation means, which is kind of ironic because we lived uh, for the most part, a a healthy lifestyle and athletically, you know what I mean? Are you, you do the best with the information you have. Like we didn't know anything about, about what we know about like eating or the environmental factors or, or things like that. But because you, you, you work to correct those insufficiencies or, or deficiencies, then things get more in alignment. The body works correctly. The brain becomes coherent. Well, guess what? You become coherent. And if consciousness is interfaced through the central nervous system and the brain is a receiver, I don't, you know, who knows? But if, if that is the case, then it would make the most practical sense to have the brain optimized so you could be receiving a clear transmission and also uh, transmitting a clear transmission, you know? Yeah, which is frustrating for, I think, a lot of people that are on the path that are 
reading self-help books or spiritual books or going to these seminars like in in the moment that they're doing it they are in coherence right and so Mm -hmm. they get that like charge inspiration and clarity Mm -hmm. Uh, they could see the vision but then they go back to their old environment Mm -hmm. you know and and it just fizzles away and they're Mm -hmm. just like oh my god i need that drug again like Mm -hmm. they don't realize it is a drug but Mm -hmm. Um, endogenous yeah. endogenous and and so it's frustrating because you're just doing that racket now for a mm-hmm. while and maybe that's just a process that everybody has to go through and then come to their own understanding like you know like for me why did it take to me be nearly 40 years old did i stumble across you you know on joe rogan's show right like i'd I was like, I think 37, 38 at the time. And like, you know, and, and it was about another year until I actually got on the program. Mm-hmm. And but once I was on the program, uh, Dr. Gordon's protocol, I mean, within two days, my anxiety went away. My morning depression went away, my yeah. demons. And, and, um, it, it was like, it was that easy. Yeah. It was crazy, man. Like, gosh, what if I had access to this when I was 20? So now I don't, look back and regret so i i try to understand that everybody's at their own rates right we're gonna do our best to broadcast this message out whoever is ready to receive it yeah. or come across it uh coincidentally fortuitously whatever like even then they may not even take that information as you know right We've lost yeah. people yeah. to suicide still and um but we're doing our best and we're getting it out there and more people are getting it out there and and uh you know i think it's it's i'm actually an optimist for the future like i really see like some amazing times ahead you know even though it looks kind of crazy right now the world and our nation and our Mm -hmm. president sometimes Mm -hmm. you know but it's um it's interesting to know that that's what we can do you know that's what we can do I'm grateful that now my brain is working right. Everything's in coherence more often. So that's just another, like, to answer that flow question, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm more likely to enter flow, you know, because my brain is working the way it's supposed to. Absolutely. The brain fog's gone, and, you know, all these symptoms just disappeared within a few months. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so grateful for Dr. Gordon for coming across that and you have come across you guys came across each other and now you're putting out that information we're doing it now yeah and um we have been doing it for a while me and you uh, yeah (laughs) man and um i think we're we're coming to the end pretty soon i I just want to make sure because uh dude i'm glad we blasted the memory cards here man yeah the card the the camera card and it's been like two like i haven't even processed processed time um, (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean this will last like another 28 hours oh wow (laughs) as long as the battery's good that memory card's awesome but the phone's a different story the camera but um we'll definitely continue yeah uh yeah, dude, this, this is a, what a dope conversation. Yeah, man. Um, for the viewers and the listeners, um, where can they get a hold of you or uh, find out about your work? And yeah. also, uh, you got a book and a movie yeah. coming out. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Tony, for for segueing into all that. You know what, man? Like, I we're uh, we're working hard to bring this information through our work, the warrior angels foundation. I'm not really like a, like a personality or, or a public person, you know, whatsoever just kind of 
love doing this work. So I, I love talking about it or giving these opportunities. So thank you for that. The, our organization is called Warrior Angels Foundation. If you're interested in anything on there or anything dealing with uh, traumatic brain injury, uh, how to not only assess it but to treat it, uh, you can get on our website, waftbi.org. And uh, the book is called Tales from the Blast Factory, um, which a lot of people uh, early on were talking, uh, asking me, you know, well, outside of the Mark's protocols, like what what is it ab- about you that we're able to to turn turn things around? You know what I mean? And I never really thought about it. I just kind of the person that just does things, you know, and then on to the next one. But it was really good, man. So we took our time. Uh, took my time to go back and kind of mine the past and come away with these diamonds. But as me and my brother Adam, who helped me with, uh, he co-founded the organization. What's up, Adam? And co-wrote the book with me. As we were kind of mining the our past for for the story, it was coming away with you know, are there some are there some principles or key takeaways that we could uh, illuminate for somebody going through a similar circumstance? You know what I mean? And we broke it down into I think that it's like ten or eleven chapters in the book, but chapter. Chapter 9 and Chapter 10 are what we call Lessons Learned. So we take you through that whole, you know, psychological gauntlet, pre-injury, injury, post-injury, rehabilitation, uh, redefining a vision of the future, and take you into what we felt were the lessons that were learned from that. And we think they're pretty universal in how somebody can look to apply that practically in their own life. Because like you say so elegantly, uh, does it grow corn, man? Oh, I just love that. And that's what the book is about for us, like how we were able to go through that process. So that's what Tales from the Blast Factory is about, that process. Uh, our editor sent it to a friend of hers when we were going through the editing process who was a, uh, an Emmy Award-winning uh, filmmaker and uh, documentary. And uh, she loved it. And now we're making it into a f- uh, film called Quiet Explosions. We're really excited about that, Tony. It's going to be three specific stories, mine, plus two additional ones through the foundation. I'm talking about incredible comeback stories. And then all the top scientists in neuroscience, neuroendocrinology, uh, neuropathology. Uh, so really looking forward to getting those out. Uh, I was going to give some names, but I just want to wait till we have them uh, inked. But we're working some phenomenal stuff right now so it's going to be like uh we have all the war movies out right that kind of like maybe have approached the situation of the silent wounds of war the movie concussion with the nfl uh and the problem there so the the problem has been outlined this will be the for the first time ever it's told in this manner through three different individuals and giving a clear understanding of the science behind how we've been able to identify and treat it and now we can predict measure and replicate as we've done hundreds of times uh through dr gordon and the foundation and so it'll be a true answer an alternative uh solution to uh, a wide-ranging problem, you know what I mean? So that's what Quiet Explosions is about. All this information can be found on our website, again, waftbi.org. Grateful for you. Grateful for this opportunity. Yeah, grateful for what you. A great, yeah, well, what a great Andrew. conversation. Yeah, and um, they can donate to help other yeah. uh, veterans and yeah, active yeah. duty. To- yeah, absolutely. If you're interested there, please do your homework on us. I always, you know... Um, 
recommend fact-checking everything. We are, we're transparent. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. So if you do uh, consider uh, or decide to make a contribution, it's tax-deductible, and we're grateful that will be used to help somebody else. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, and, man. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening and watching, and look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Love you, Andrew. Love you. <laughs>